Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. We appreciate it and hope you're having a good day. Coming up on our program today, an update on this year's Missouri State Fair. Still on, but they're still making changes to it. We'll get the very latest from the State Fair Director, Mark Wolf. The crisis in the pork industry. Projections of $5 billion in losses. We'll talk with Kearns and Associates economist Steve Meyer for the very latest. And another crop report from around the country. This time we focus on the state of North Dakota. How do things look there? We'll check in with the North Dakota farmer a little bit later on in today's program. But let's start it off now with DTN reporter Todd Neely. Todd, how are you? I'm good, Mike. How are you? All right. You've been reporting on the situation facing the pork industry. Some pretty big losses and potential long-term damage to the pork industry. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. You know, uh, when we look at the, the pork the processing plants, you know, they've been able to get back up to speed quite a bit. Uh, you know, <clears throat> the latest numbers are that they're about 95% capacity right now, uh, but it's that 5% loss that's really hurting the hog industry. Uh, normally, this time of the year, uh, there's another 1.1 million animals that have, that have been processed already, uh, and that number is expected to grow to 1.6 by the, the end of August and 2.5 by the end of the year uh, of animals that should have already been uh, on to market. And so, yeah, and then you uh, you look at the, the peer numbers, uh, you know, coming into the, the year, uh, the industry was expected to make, you know, on average 20 bucks a hog, if not more. Uh, and now for the entire year, they're projecting uh, a $10 loss and beyond on average. Uh, so that's got a lot of people in a, in a very tough situation. Uh, you know, they're kind of holding out like a lot of ag groups right now uh, for some more aid from the federal government. Um, you know, it's hard to say what that's going to amount to. A lot of people are scrambling to get the attention of Congress, uh, you know, for their own interest. And uh, But the hog industry, it's, con- it's considerably worse than a lot of other uh, segments in agriculture right now. So you have the ag groups making their case to Congress about the need for more assistance, and probably front and center would be the pork industry. But the ethanol industry is there as well, and they're very concerned they'll be left out of this one as well. Yeah, you know, at the moment, uh, we're not hearing much from House or Senate leadership about the ethanol industry. And, you know, it's uh, it, too, is starting to come back a little bit, but, you know, it's it's really in a tight spot. I mean, we've got... Uh, you know, margins have improved, but they're still entirely too slim to make much of a profit. And, um, you know, there's just not a lot of gasoline demand. You know, the economy's picking back up slowly, but, um, you know, it's just not what it was before the whole COVID uh, shutdown. And it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out because there are some really interesting proposals, uh, you know, put out there in Congress. Uh, you know, possibly a payment for ethanol producers on livestock purchases, those sorts of things that would really help. Uh, But right now, it's really not part of the discussion. So all eyes on uh, the Senate to see what their bill will look like. Meanwhile, speaking of ethanol, we know there have been some more filings, requests for small refinery exemptions. 
Yeah, Mike, you know, it's uh, we're up to 58 now, and uh, all those are from previous years, you know, up up back to 2010, 11, around there and, and onward. Uh, you know, before those additional six came up, uh, we were looking at possibly 2 billion gallons of ethanol that would be affected. Uh, so now it's north of that, and, uh, you know, we're still kind of waiting. You know, we're we're kind of past that June deadline, obviously, of uh, when the, the EPA would put out the, the new volumes for uh, the following year. Uh, we really don't know what the delay is at the moment, whether, you know, uh, people behind the scenes at EPA are trying to figure out how to handle uh, the small refinery exemption issue uh, or what the case may be. So it's really kind of uh, radio silence from the EPA at the moment. And, again, this is one of those areas that if, uh, if the right thing was done for uh, the ethanol industry, we wouldn't see, uh, you know, near the pressure that, that the industry is facing at the moment. Yeah, that's it. You wonder... If these exemptions had not been granted and undermined the RFS, uh, where the industry would be, probably, as you said, not needing yeah. nearly the amount of assistance they're, they're needing now uh, in, a, in an aid package from Congress. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's a loss of demand. Uh, you know, when all those gallons were waived, uh, you know, there just was no need for that much more ethanol, obviously, in the market. And so... Um, yeah, it, I, I think it probably would have made a difference. Uh, you know, we're talking billions and billions of gallons, uh, that were waived and you add that demand back to the industry at this point in time and where, where things are. And I think it, uh, you know, we'd be talking about a different scenario. Meanwhile, as we go ag in the courtroom, a California appeals court as has upheld a verdict against Bayer in the first case, uh, in trial court examining uh, that whole issue around whether or not Roundup causes cancer in humans. Yeah, you know, the, it, it, it dates back a case, uh, probably the original case, was a, a landscaper named Dwayne Johnson who, who, uh, who contracted cancer. And, uh, you know, originally the, the jury had awarded quite a sizable uh, damage amount to him. Um, and that's, uh, that's been reduced. Uh, the court upheld that uh, decision, but they, they cut the amount from, Around 70 million to 20 some million um, for Johnson, and so uh, you know, in a way, it's, it's a loss for Bear in the court, but uh, things could have been far worse. I mean, this uh, Bear has seen you know verdicts in the billions of dollars uh, that probably were never going to be filled, obviously. But um, it's interesting to see how this all is going to play out, considering Bear is still working to a, a you know a settlement with with all the uh, with all the people who have come come to light. It's got a ways to go, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, we're not even close to, to the end. Yeah. And meanwhile, we continue. Uh, we're watching the progress of our crops here in this country and also watching at the same time how much China buys. Right. Absolutely. You know, uh, you know, we've seen some pretty good reports when it comes to, to soybeans for the crop. Yesterday, uh, its condition had improved according to USDA. Um, you know, an estimated 69% of the corn crop was in good to excellent condition. So it's definitely, uh, you know, it's not one of those years where weather is a gigantic factor in general. You know, obviously different regions of the country had different different things going on. But, um, you know, in any other year, uh, this would be a great crop report. And uh, so we'll just have to wait and see. But with China kind of sitting out there and, uh, you know, from time to time, they're dropping some big purchases. And so uh, we'll see where that all goes. All right. Good to talk with you, Todd. Take care. All right. Thank you, Mike. Take care. Uh, 
DTN reporter Todd Neely. Up next, the Missouri State Fair coming up next month. One of the few that's still on for this year, but more changes are being made as they continue to scale back and revise because of COVID-19. What will they be having next month in Sedalia, Missouri for a Missouri State Fair? We'll find out coming up next. We'll talk with Missouri State Fair Director Mark Wolf. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, the Missouri State Fair is still on for August 13th through the 23rd in Sedalia, Missouri, but more changes have been made, and here to tell us about them is Mark Wolf, the director of the Missouri State Fair. Mark, thank you for joining us. So you've had to make some more revisions to the schedule. Uh, we did, Mike. Uh, you know, is this uh, has kind of been a fluid fluid situation for for several months and uh you know as we kind of work through this uh had a meeting with a lot of folks in jeff city uh, last thursday talking through scenarios and and just looking at what was going on uh and just a combination kind of the perfect storm i guess uh, of of issues and things to try to work through uh led us to a decision that uh, we were not going to be able to move forward with a lot of parts of the fair uh, do the things that we needed to to uh, keep folks safe, uh, and at the same time, you know, be able to to actually fund the fair. Uh, you know, it costs quite a bit to do this, and we'd had a lot of sponsors pull out, uh, back up. Uh, a lot of businesses locally and around had decided that they would rather their employees not uh, be at the fair and be be in crowds. And so, uh, you know, with a with a lot of a lot of thought going into it, the decision was made, um, you know, Thursday evening that uh, we need to look into uh, backing this thing up, and uh, we really, really wanted to be able to, to uh, support our youth livestock exhibitors and, and all these 4-H and FFA kids' hard work, so we have shifted over to uh, just a youth livestock show, and uh, we're kind of working through the details of, of everything that that will entail at this time, but uh, that's what we'll be doing over the 11 days of the, the normal 11 days of the fair here in August. So you will have, as you said, a youth livestock show, and that will cover the entirety of that fair schedule. Well, it does. We, uh, you know, by the time you get through all the different species and do do that process, we, uh, you know, there was a lot of discussion about trying to condense the schedule. Uh, of course, at the same time, our numbers are pretty high. Uh, you know, even most of our exhibitors are youth exhibitors anyway. Uh, and so in an effort not to um, overcrowd, uh, you know, by trying to condense the schedule, uh, the schedule was already out. A lot of the folks had already made plans and take vacation time to be here. Uh, it was decided to leave the schedule alone. And, um, and so that's the, that's the direction we're going to go. All right. Now, you mentioned the vendors were pulling out. They were kind of in a tough spot already when you, when you had to cancel your grandstand lineup. That's a big part of the business, of course, uh, for those vendors. They were kind of in a, going to be in a position of how much product to order and, and, and not knowing what the crowds were going to be like, so they were already in a tough spot. Uh, you're absolutely right. You know, we, we were having a lot of conversation with vendors and concessionaires and, and, and folks, uh, and a lot of them had that question, you know, what kind of crowds are you expecting? What, uh, you know, what's it going to look like? And um, I can tell you that just just uh, vendors in general and the different buildings and things, we'd had about a third uh, of those, about 90, 
I think was the last count I had uh, of vendors that had decided to cancel out for 2020 and wait till 2021. Uh, we had some concessionaires, uh, not a lot at that point, but uh, as this has moved forward, we've, we've uh, begun to realize and, and we're starting to have concessionaires, you know, that uh, decided maybe it just wasn't going to be worth, uh, you know, worth the expense to come in and set up. So, you know, it's just, as I said, kind of the perfect storm of we can't make this work. It's, uh, it is a business for, for everybody that's involved in doing the fair. And, um, you know, when there's no profit, no, no way to afford to do it, that, you know, we just start losing those partnerships. We're talking with Missouri State Fair Director Mark Wolf. Now, you're going ahead with the Junior Livestock Show. What precautions will you have to take just to be able to do that? Well, you know, uh, currently here in Pettis County, there, there are no masks or, uh, you know, orders like that that are official out there. I, that could change. Uh, there has been conversation about that, and I think some of the numbers had increased a little bit uh, in, you know, in recent weeks, but I don't know if that has continued um, you know, so we're gonna we're gonna move forward with some of the things that we were talking about for the fair in general. We're gonna we're gonna have masks on site, so they'll be available if people want them. Uh, our our janitorial crews and things, uh, we're not changing anything that we were doing with that. Obviously, there'll be less buildings to to work on as a lot of those buildings won't be open now. But uh, it, it'll allow us to focus more on the barns and the restrooms and things that are being used uh, during this this uh, particular event and. Um, you know, it'll be great training for our folks. Uh, you know, we still have our EMS folks uh, with the um, Firefighters Association of Missouri, uh, DMAT with SEMA is going to go ahead and be here and use it as a training opportunity. Uh, we will still have uh, participation by the Missouri Highway Patrol for security on the ground. So, um, you know, we're going to do all those things. We're going to make sure that we do everything on our part, just like we'd planned before to, uh, you know, to do the, the proper sanitation of high touch points and all the other parts that, uh, you know, CDC is recommending. What have you heard from your youth exhibitors, those that will be showing livestock? Have any of them expressed any concerns about coming? You know, I don't know that we've had any direct contact with anyone that is, you know, that is uh, saying one way or another. Um, you know, we, we have been looking at entry numbers, and obviously our dates for entry had been pushed back anyway. So this is the last full week of that we take entries uh, under the current setting. So we'll have a, a better feel, I guess, for the, for the number. It, it is down a little bit uh, from where it was last year at this time. So, you know, I, I think there are some folks out there that have decided, you know, maybe we'll just wait this year out and, and go, go with next year also. So, uh, you know, we leave it to those folks to decide, those families, you know, if they're interested in participating. And, uh, you know, we'll make it available. We'll do everything we can to, to make it safe for everyone. And then, uh, you know, we'll just, uh, we'll just see what the, you know, what the response is. Mark, let's talk about the financial hit that you'll be taking by having to pretty much scale back the fair just to a junior livestock show this year. How does that impact next year's fair? Well, uh, you know, there's going to be some challenges, you know, from the financial end of this for sure. Um, you know, we uh, we were looking at that and working with OA a little bit on some different scenarios and some things like that just to, to try to figure out what the plan will be. Obviously, uh, we're already in the middle of pretty significant budget cuts uh, for the operation as we're doing it uh, currently. Uh, we had committed to, uh, you know, a pretty sizable amount of cuts uh, to go with the fair as we were planning it anyway. So, uh, you know, we'll, there'll be some other cost savings by going this route, obviously, uh, you know, less expenses and things like that. So, you know, the fair is, uh, we're not broke, uh, certainly, and, and we've been very fortunate over the last 10 or 11 years, and the fair had, had worked hard to put money back for just this kind of thing. So, um, you know, we're, 
we're you know we're just, money's going to be a little tight, obviously, and and we'll we'll address those things as as we start trying to plan for next year, and we'll be working with um, you know OA, you know, if we need that little assistance to get us there. Obviously, there have been a number of uh, state fairs and other events like this canceled this year because of COVID nineteen, and uh, one of the aspects of this that uh, sometimes goes unnoticed but certainly not by those that are directly affected and that's the communities in which these events are held because this is a big part of their uh, income for a given year. Uh, you're absolutely right Mike I you know this is going to be a, a a big hit on uh, you know on the Sedalia area in Pettis County and, the, and Missouri as a whole uh, you know the obviously the state fair is a is a pretty pretty good uh, economic driver I guess and certainly in the local community um, you know at the same time I think there was there was a lot of concern with the local community about large numbers of folks coming in from all over too so you know it probably was about half and half uh, you know I can't tell you exactly but uh, there were certainly some concerns from uh, Pettis County Health folks, and uh, we had been working with them, and they had been working with uh, DHSS, you know, with the state, uh, expressing their concerns. And so a lot of that conversation had been going on for a while. And, um, you know, um, I think it, at the end it just became a combination of how do you do it safely, how do we control some of the, the issues with large crowds, and also obviously high on the list was, you know, is there going to be enough money to do it anyway? And I think we were kind of staring down the barrel of both both issues and it just it was decided that this was the way to go will there be some like food vendors on the grounds to uh, so the folks that are there for the livestock shows that they'll be able to get something to eat uh, there will be. Uh, we're kind of working through that right now. Obviously, those folks have questions about, uh, you know, the numbers of folks that we're expecting and things like that. So we are we are leaving that up to them. Uh, we have some that have committed to come and some that have decided uh, not to. Uh, but there will be food vendors out here. Uh, obviously, there'll be, you know, there'll be quite a few folks out here spread around the fairgrounds at the different barns and arenas anyway. So we're going to make sure that there's food here for them. And, um you know, we'll we'll work through. I I, I got to believe, or I'm pretty confident that you're going to be able to get your state fair corn dog if if that's what you're looking for. So, um, you know, we'll make sure that there's food out here for them. And uh, obviously, with the gates kind of wide open for this kind of event, they they certainly have the opportunity to to go to town and eat and things like that. Also, so you still got a few days before August 13th. So I guess preparations and plans. You're still working on this, right? We are, yeah. You know, this is. I think this is the third version of this that we that we've tried to work on uh, this spring to get ready for for an event. So, uh, you know, we had some details to work through. We're working through that now. Uh, our folks uh, are making a lot of phone calls, getting a lot of phone calls coming in. So, uh, you know, as I said, we we've been working on the security side and some things like that. Our EMS and firefighters groups and folks that will be on grounds just to provide public safety. And um, you know, we're working through the other things with our campground folks and you know what we're going to need out there. To uh, obviously, those numbers will be down quite a bit, also. So we're working through all that, and uh, we'll be ready when uh, August 13th gets here. All right, Mark. Thanks for the update. We'll stay in touch. Appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. All right, Missouri State Fair Director. Mark Wolf. Up next, a look at the crisis facing the pork industry. We'll talk with Kearns and Associates economist Steve Meyer next on AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, let's take a look at the crisis facing the pork industry in this country. Steve Myers with us, economist for Kearns and Associates. Steve, thanks for joining us again. You've been 
updating us on this situation as we go along. You've put the, some numbers together, released some numbers showing the losses and potential losses. Staggering number that it could be around $5 billion. That's with a B, $5 billion. Well, and Mike, that's relative to what we think would have happened had we not had uh, coronavirus hit the industry back in in the spring. Uh, If we go back to March 1 and look at where futures prices were at that time and value the flow of pigs that would have been coming to market at those futures prices and then compare them to what the actual prices and now the futures prices are, it comes up near $5 billion change in the value. So um, that $5 billion isn't actual monetary losses, but it's lost profits as well. So uh, what we uh, economists call opportunity costs uh, would be would be in that five billion. It, it is a huge, huge number, and uh, obviously one that's going to take a toll on pork producers. You have covered this business for a long, long time. Have you ever seen anything like this? No, no, I've never seen anything like this. You know, 1998 was awful for about two months, and, and then 1999 was a bad year. But uh, I don't think to the tune that we've seen this thing. And also, I mean, it was so unexpected. You know, uh, uh, you just couldn't ever foresee this. Um, So I've never seen anything like it. I certainly hope to never see anything like it again. I've asked you and others this question quite a bit during this uh, pandemic. How does this compare with the crisis that the pork industry faced in the late 90s? Because that really led to a complete change in the structure of the organization. Uh, could this result in something similar, you think? Well, I don't think we're going to see the kind of structural change we saw in, in, in out of, coming out of 98. And the reason is, well, that happened right in the middle of a major technological move, too. I mean, we had figured out how to raise pigs in larger buildings, the thousand-head finisher at been kind of perfected by then and it was taking over the business and uh, you know that thousand head finishing building or 1200 head finishing building really drove the size of everything behind it i mean uh you know you finally got to the point where you were going to try to fill and empty a complete a three building site out of one sow farm in one week and that's what drove you know, first the 1,500-sale unit, then the 34, and now the 5,400-sale unit. And so uh, that was a major technological change at the same time. And so uh, we're, not, we're not in the throes of that as this comes along. With that said, though, you know, this is going to hit producers across the size spectrum. It's not just small producers that are going to hurt. It's going to be uh, some sizable ones, too. And so we're going to see some consolidation out of this. Um, you know, will the number of producers drop dramatically? Uh, not as measured by USDA, because they include a whole lot of small farms in there. That, that Those numbers probably won't change much. But, um, uh, you know, if you take the ones with a 1,000 head or more, I think that that number is going to consolidate pretty, consider- pretty, pretty considerably coming out of, out of this situation as, uh, you know, those professional producers are the ones that are really taking the brunt of this situation, in my opinion. We're talking with Kearns and Associates economist Steve Meyer. All right, Steve, we you've been keeping us up to date on, on the pork packing plants and where we are with the backlog. What's the latest? Well, the pork packing plants are still operating roughly 95%. I mean, we've been right around that 5% slack number 
our idols number for several weeks now. It bumps up to it bumped up to seven there one week uh, when we had a plant that was down uh, for some retooling. Uh, that plant is now partially back online, and I think our number from Friday was 5.1%. We're only doing that weekly now. It's not, you know, it's not changing much, so we're only doing it once a week as opposed to daily like we were there at one time. So, um, you know, we've said for some time, Mike, that, you know, 95% might be as good as we get. I, I think that looks like a good number right now. And that means that we're, we're kind of in a pickle here. If you take USDA's numbers uh, in the March in the June hogs and pigs report, and if they if those pigs were growing normally, all right, and if uh, slaughter was determined by the number of pigs available, not the number of shackle spaces, we would have slaughtered 1.1 million more pigs since June 1st than we had. Um, well, clearly, number one is slaughter is being determined by how many operable shackle spaces we have, and pigs aren't growing normally. We've still got pigs on hold diets, uh, trying to keep them from getting too heavy. We've still got pigs double and triple stocked behind them in some buildings. Uh, we still have a space crunch out there, and we think that this backlog of pigs from the June first uh, inventory will grow to about 1.5, 1.6 million by the end of August. It'll steady out in September, and if the USDA numbers are right, it's going to grow again to about two and a half million by the end of the year. So, um, you know, unless we start destroying some pigs behind these to give them some space, uh, we're going to have pigs on hold diets for the foreseeable future, and uh, I I don't see how we can get out of that. Now we hear a lot of folks that are current, and and weights are giving us the false impression that everybody is current because of these, these whole diets the pigs are on, and the fact that when you, you start shipping pigs out of the barn, you ship them all right now because you need the barn. And so that means there are some lighter pigs going to market that normally we would feed for two or three more weeks and get them up to a more optimal market weight. Uh, some people just can't do that right now. So uh, I, think, I think the weight situation is giving us a false sense of security, and I still think that there's a significant number of pigs backed up out there that we've got to work through. And we still don't have hardly any weeks where the capacity is larger than the number of pigs available. And that's what has to happen if you're going to make a dent in that backlog. Wow. So when you paint that scenario, it kind of shows that this is going to be an issue for weeks and months to come. It's not just something where we are about to get out of. It's still going to be there for a while. It appears to me that that's the case. And the, and the reason, the biggest reason is, that we we don't have uh, our plants operating at full capacity, and uh, and I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, I just you know we might have a few weeks that we get down to up to ninety seven percent, but I think this ninety five number is going to be pretty common. Um, there is some concern about more problems this fall. I, I I think we talked about that. I I think there are three reasons that won't happen. Number one is we're not as ignorant as we used to be. Uh, we know more about how to how to manage this. Number two is uh, the places that have had a lot of infections are going to have the immunities. And so uh, we should have a little bit of uh, ability to withstand a resurgence of coronavirus in the packing plants. And finally, I don't think it'll hit us all at once like it did in April and May. I think we might have a plant here, a plant there. But still, even with all the plants running at 95%, those USDA numbers from the June Hogs and Pigs report says there's more pigs than that out there. Um, Something's got to give somewhere, I'm afraid, Mike. So if you can market your hogs, what's the price outlook? 
Uh, very good. Uh, obviously, uh, number one is uh, we got huge supplies of pork going on the market, killing 2.5, 2.6 million a week, even at moderate weights. I mean, that's still large pork supplies, and that's going to continue through September. Uh, it's going to moderate a little bit into the fourth quarter, um, uh, we think, as far as year-over-year changes. Uh, but And then we'll pick up some fall pork demand. Pork demand is usually stronger in the fall. So we think that the, the cutout value is going to go sideways here for the rest of the summer and then get a little bit of improvement, maybe 10 bucks in the fall. That will pull some hog prices up, those that are tied to the cutout. But the fact that there's plenty of hogs available all the time means that packers don't have to go chase them and really can pay kind of whatever they want to. Uh, I still think we're in a price indeterminate situation where packers could pay 10 or 20 or 30 or $40 for those negotiated hogs and buy the same number of pigs at whatever price they want. Now, we've seen that price going up just a bit, but uh, you know, anytime a price is in the 30s, I don't think that's the time to call it, call it a rally of any sort. So um, uh, we think that the hog price is going to stay under some real pressure for the rest of the year. Hard to find any bright spots in that picture you've just painted. I will offer you one bright spot, Mike. Okay. And the bright spot is the futures market for 2021. Uh, it's pretty optimistic, and we think I, – I can't see how we're going to get cash prices to that level. So I think producers ought to be looking to price some of their their pigs out into the future. Uh, they can do that with some futures and options strategies. It won't be too costly, and some of them will leave some topside available to them in case the market rallies, in case we get uh, some uh, real resurgence of food service demand. And so I think you ought to be talking to your marketing advisors and figuring out a strategy – to price hogs from actually from probably December on forward and get some hogs priced, and hopefully uh, you'll get a chance to price the rest of them better in the future. You mentioned the food service aspect. You know, we thought that would be really improved by now. There's been improvement, obviously, with some reopening, but now that's in question again, too. Yeah, that is, and that's the weak part of demand. We think retail demand is good, but export demand is hung in there pretty well. We have the ability to move some of that food service product through retail channels now that we didn't have back in March and April. So, for instance, even in the face of all this production, we don't see bellies falling out of bed like they did uh, back in, in, in April. And so that's encouraging. Uh, but, um, you know, this whole situation, especially in states like California and Texas and Florida, with the resurgence of coronavirus, um, mm-hmm. uh is not, you know, not what we had hoped to have on the food service side of this thing. Okay. Not a pretty picture. Steve, thanks, so for giving us an update. We appreciate it. You're welcome, Mike. Good day. Kearns and Associates economist Steve Meyer. Tomorrow we'll talk with Nick Giordano with the National Pork Producers Council about what the pork industry is seeking as far as assistance is concerned from the government to help through this crisis. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. We continue to check in with farmers around the country, checking on crop conditions in their areas. Let's take a look at the the state of North Dakota. North Dakota farmer Scott German is with us. Scott, thanks for being with us. How do things look on your farm? Hey, good morning, Mike. Uh, You know, on our farm, actually, they don't look too bad. Uh, We've been catching some timely rains, uh, Corn actually looks really, really good. Uh, just starting to get in a full tassel here. 
Uh, beans, man, they're kind of another story here. We've been kind of saturated ever since last fall, and we all know beans just don't like wet feet. So, you know, there's some good beans out there, but beans are they're pretty hit and miss as far as, uh, you know, good beans, poor beans, mediocre beans. As I was say, to say, Calling, calling it a challenging spring and early summer would be an understatement, but it goes back farther than that for many North Dakota farmers, right? I mean, it's just a, been a continuation from last year. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it kind of started last spring, and, you know, there were some challenges getting crop planted last spring, and all the way through harvest last year where, you know, there's still harvest being done here, and, you know, a couple, three weeks ago, uh, but yeah, there's uh, there's definitely a reduction in in planted acres in, across the state of North Dakota, especially the eastern half. Uh, you know, predominantly corn and soybeans. Uh, I would say we're probably down, you know, thirty forty percent even from what we were last year. So yeah, when the final numbers come out for planted corn and beans in North Dakota, I, I think we're even going to be lower than what uh, USD projected back in into June. Seeing any uh, disease or insect problems? Not not so much insects. Uh, there's a lot of guys treating beans with fungicide for white mold and things like that. A little bit of goss as well, things on corn. But, yeah, with, uh, with the wet conditions up here, uh, as these beans start entering flowering stages, quite a little fungicide and stuff being applied to the beans and, you know, a little bit on corn maybe to a lesser extent. How would you say your crops look as far as condition and development uh right now compared to say a year ago at this time yeah i think we're, we're definitely ahead as far as development uh and like i said we're we're probably in full tassel on corn now which maybe is a week 10 days earlier than we were last year uh beans we're just starting to probably hit that r2 r3 just starting to maybe get a pod set here or there going uh and you know like i said conditions on corn for the most part the corn around uh, the eastern part of the state looks looks pretty good, and, and the beans are, it's a hit and miss deal. We're talking with North Dakota farmer Scott German. Of course, Scott, this was the year that uh, you did, a, a lot of farmers did 2019 harvest in 2020. Did you have to do any of that? No, we uh, we finished up on our farm. We finished a day after Thanksgiving last year, so uh, we, we ended up in pretty good shape. Uh, Corn left now. I mean, there's there's just virtually no corn left standing from last year. You know what what was there is you know the snow, the wind, the weather's pretty much taken it down, and, and you know guys have just did what they had to do to try to get the ground ready for next year, or trying to get the ground ready for next year. So yeah, it uh, it definitely was the year for the record books as far as unharvested corn from 19 into 20, and and I think you know there's probably been a 12 probably going on a 12-month window now where there's been harvest going on in, in North Dakota, which is, you know, unprecedented for us. So it's uh, it's going to be, a, you know, interesting moving forward. Hopefully we don't have the same issues we had this fall as the last couple falls with snow and rain and, and maybe give our producers up here a little break to, uh, you know, get a harvest done in a timely fashion. I, uh, as it looks now, it looks like maybe we might have a little earlier harvest, hopefully we can get some drier corn, higher test weight than we've had the last couple of years, maybe a little, little less LP drying and, and save producers a little bit of money. Yeah, because you you have a shorter window than a lot of our listeners as far as just how much uh, actual season you have, right? That's why it's just a shorter season for you in, in a good year. Yeah, I mean, typically up here I'm in the very southeastern part of this 
states, you know, we'll raise 95 to 100 day corn, you know, as you progress across the state, uh, you know, get up north toward the Canadian border, you know, they're down to like a 75, 78 day corn. So, you know, ironically, North Dakota probably has more varieties of uh, maturities than probably the rest of the country does just simply for the fact, you know, as you move south, you go from 100 to 110 day corn, 112 day corn, where we're down into you know the upper 70s as you go north across the state, and and it it does become a challenge sometimes in the fall where uh, you know we're battle, battling cold weather or freeze up, and you know it's always nice to combine in a t-shirt, not coveralls. Hmm. Of course, sugar beets another big crop in North Dakota, and plenty of challenges there too this year. It, yeah, I mean they're, the the beets are a little bit further. Uh, eastward than where i farm but yeah and i mean them guys they don't like they don't like wet dirt and wet soil any more than what uh beans do so i know the uh they're you know having to do fungicide treatments as usual and maybe a little more and, and i think they got the crop planted in in good conditions and uh you know now they're just like everybody else there's there's pockets of good beans or good beets and there's pockets where you know excess moisture is uh you know really starting to take a toll on some of them it seems like You've been in a pattern in North Dakota. You either get a lot of rain or no rain. Uh, what's your forecast looking like? You know, for the next uh, couple, two, three days, we're supposed to be in pretty good, pretty good shape. And then now, uh, as of this morning, they're talking, uh, you know, get the back up in the 80s, upper 80s, 90s through the weekend, and then isolated thunderstorms. And it seems like we, around here now, we, we either get no rain or you get a two-inch rain, and two miles down the road gets nothing. And you know, just last night there, we had nothing at at our farm and you go about 15 miles north and they got one to two inches. So it's been a really hit and miss. And it seems like if you get hit, you get hit pretty good. And if you miss, uh, you know, just wait, your turn's coming. Hmm. Well, Scott, thanks for the update and hopefully things will go well for you the rest of the way. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Always good to talk with you, Mike, and uh, have a good day and good growing season. All your listeners out there and let's farm on. All right, we'll stay in touch. Thank you, Scott. Scott German, North Dakota farmer, with an update from his area. All right, tomorrow we'll get an update from the FSA administrator, Richard Fordyce, on CFAP payments. We'll talk with Nick Giordano with the National Pork Producers about this uh, crisis facing the pork industry and what they are hoping for as far as assistance from the government's concerned. And we'll talk weather with uh, Dennis Toddy with USDA's Climate Hub in the Midwest. So I hope you'll join us right here on AOA.